Welcome to A Teaspoon of Healing, where we explore the pathways to wellness and vibrant living. Listen to personal stories of healing and interviews with experts. It's time to open a doorway to healing in your life through positive changes. Here is your host, Dawn Damari. Hi, I'm Dawn Damari, and you're listening to A Teaspoon of Healing. Well, today's topic is environmental nutrition, or how your environment affects your health. My guests are James and Dahlia Marin. They are returning to the show. They are both holistic registered dietitians from Married to Health. James Marin is also an environmental nutritionist. So we're going to learn about the effects of pesticides on your health, the effect of plastics that might end up in your fish, the effects of all different kinds of things on your health, and why you should eat organic food as much as possible and their initiatives to get organic food offered in many more stores across the country and the dirty dozen so which vegetables and fruits you should purchase organic we're also going to talk about a few other things like how to pick the best fruit from the grocery store and their opinion on the paleo diet james and dahlia marin are both whole food plant-based and they're weighing in on paleo and also the whole 30 reset diet This podcast is for informational purposes only and does not constitute medical advice. Please consult a physician or other health professional before undertaking changes in lifestyle or wellness habits. The author claims no responsibility to any person or entity for any liability, loss, or damage caused or alleged to be caused directly or indirectly as a result of use, application, or interpretation of the information presented herein. And before we get into our interview, let's hear from one of our sponsors, Golf Tours. Hi, this is Goff, owner of Goff Tours, specializing in stand-up paddleboarding or surfing lessons. I even do snorkeling. You can reach me here. Orange County has what you're looking for. You can contact me via email at gofftours at gmail.com or mobile number is 949-338-5937, gofftours.com. I'm Dawn Damari, and you're listening to A Teaspoon of Healing. Well, today I have James and Dahlia Marin. They're back. They're both holistic registered dietitians from Married to Health. Hi, James and Dahlia. Hi. Hi. Thank you for having us again. Yeah, glad to be back. Welcome back. Thank you for joining me again on A Teaspoon of Healing. James, so last time we talked, we didn't get to talk too much about this, but you are also an environmental nutritionist and for people who don't know what that is I guess you could explain what that is and what are the impacts besides plastics you know the things that people think about okay maybe the bottled water plastics what other impacts do the environment have on your health right yeah so and the idea of nutrition like is is kind of anything that can benefit the body in a sense because you know vitamin d we're not technically eating vitamin D or, or the optimal way to get vitamin D is synthesized from our skin. So technically sun rays are a form of nutrition. So when we think about the environment, you know, our mantra is always without a without a clean environment, you can't have a clean body. So there's this whole section in, 
in this, I guess, uh, specialty that you can get, which is in being an environmental nutritionist. And that allows you to kind of think more broadly. And this even goes into where our scope is more holistic because we're looking at, like you mentioned, yeah, plastic and pesticides. And even is there mold growing in your house? You know, what cleaning products do you use? What hygiene products do you use? Because, uh, and then this kind of goes into, there's legislators or there's kind of protocols set in place that have not made these things as healthy as they should be, right? So like you've heard, I think when was it really in the news about microbeads, right? And like face washes or soaps where like there's these little beads of plastic and at first they were, they were marketed as, oh, it's an exfoliator. Oh, cool. You get to exfoliate your skin and little do you know you're rubbing your face with these BPA-filled toxic microplastics. And then they go into our water system and into our ocean. So, And they were finding them in fish and in other seafood. Right. So that's one of like hundreds, if not thousands of examples. And so we make our patients conscious about that. We try and be conscious about that because it does affect your health. It's going to affect your nutrition. And then it affects us as a community as a whole. So that's what we try and raise awareness of as an environmental nutritionist. Wow, that's really that's really fascinating, and it's really sad to know that they were finding those in the fish. So just like all the plastics and everything, and then yeah, you can you can be in your fish. Yeah, and even like the idea, like whose idea? I always wonder these <laughs> things. Like whose idea was like, hey, we got some extra plastic lying around. Let's just call it microbeads and, and put throw it in, it. <laughs> put it face in wash. face wash and facial scrubs and and soap bars. Mm-hmm. And it's like, yeah, it's so crazy when you think about it. So what are some other things going on as far as environmental impacts on health? I know you guys are involved in your community and you had some recent wins. What are some, yeah, some local things to Southern California that you've been involved with as far as environmental health? Yeah. So, I I mean, this is where, you know, part of this is uh, another one of our mantras is, you know, silence is violence, right? So we feel like if we know something or if we have this knowledge, we can't be silent. So we're taking action in our own community. We started in our own backyard. And so we live in Ladera Ranch and we started non-toxic Ladera Ranch. Now we have to give credit to non-toxic Irvine and beyond pesticides, which have started this movement a while before us. And we kind of gained resources from them and and they really helped us grow. But basically what this movement is, is to get pesticides out of cities, right? Because I think we've all kind of seen the, whether it's like the big city truck that's spraying the sidewalk or you see the landscapers or even your own gardeners, you know, wearing the mask and having the backpack and spraying on the, whether it's a sidewalk or in your kind of garden bed. And I think, you know, well-meaning people, they want to have a really beautiful garden. They go to Home Depot or whatever store and they buy Roundup and other pesticides and herbicides. So there's this whole movement, you know, it it started federally with Beyond Pesticides. They're a national organization, but now it's getting more into what's called like non-toxic neighborhoods with non-toxic Irvine. And they're raising awareness with homeowners, they're raising awareness with HOAs and cities, and basically passing policy to say, look, weeds are not more important than our health, right? I think we can all agree on that. So why are we using these toxic pesticides at the expense of our health? So it just doesn't make sense. And so we're part of that. We're drawing attention to that. And yeah, because you know it's, it's business as usual for HOA managers or even landscapers, you know, they has the FDA stamp of approval, so they think it's safe, but 
there's a lot of truths and there's a lot of myths to the EPA and what they actually do in terms of regulation. So we can get into that a little bit if you like. But if anything, for, for your listeners, I'd say it's very important to know the EPA does not test for safety in these products. And that's a huge misconception. So, you know, we, we think like, for example, Roundup. And Roundup is one of the most used herbicides in the, in the world. And so that is found at Home Depot. And we think, well, it's found at Home Depot. I can use it in my garden. It must be safe. That is not true. Even recently, The Guardian did an article about it. About it. It's really getting a lot of attention because uh, the main ingredient in Roundup was found to be a carcinogen. And so it's labeled a carcinogen in the state of California. So, you know, we're part of this movement that's saying this is unacceptable. We need to get this out of our schools. We need to get this out of our cities. And more importantly, we need to get it off of our food. I can go on and on about this, but it's important to know that people have power. They do. There was a similar initiative in the town I live, Laguna Beach. I think there's a non-toxic Laguna, and they, I think they lobbied to have the schools not use Roundup, and I had no idea they were even using that near the schools. You just don't think about it, but yeah. Wow, James, that's... And and it's crazy. You know what? Good for you for doing that, for, you know, sticking up for the community, and congratulations and I know it's like just the start of a of a big fight, but congratulations for at least for getting that. So so Roundup is no longer able to be used in the schools around in the schools in Ladera Ranch uh, in the district that you you're, the schools are in. Right. So yeah, we're doing it more than just the schools, but yeah, that's, that's eventually going to be a huge focus are the schools and then the sidewalks and eventually the the whole city. And it is Roundup, and there's also many formulations of Roundup. So we're, we're taking a holistic approach with this as well and just coming up with policy. And it's called like an organic IPM that basically shows landscapers what to do, shows city workers what to do, and give them protocols for the safest route to do so. And so, yeah, we're really excited. We have some big wins, and there's still much work to do. And as far as, like, other things we're working on, too, we, we've been... Now, what other stuff is, is going on environmentally, like... Yeah. That you had mentioned we were on a break. You had mentioned something else pretty big that had happened that not, not a lot of people have heard about. I hadn't heard about this. Yeah, and... And so what happened as far as in San Onofre? Right. So in San Onofre, and, and this is this is really big. A lot of people didn't know about this. It was earlier this year in 2018 where Edison decided to bury roughly 2 million tons, or actually I want to say 2 million pounds, 2 million pounds of radioactive waste. And so this was radioactive waste from the San Onofre nuclear power plant. And this is right on the beach. If, if anyone has driven by San Onofre, it's on your way to San Diego. It's those two big cone-shaped like uh, domes, right? And so they're right there off the beach, and that's where they buried it. And so if there was ever an earthquake or a tsunami or some type of natural disaster, it would be it would be a complete catastrophe. It would be something like, and, and don't quote me on this, but it's something like it would be twice the size of like Fukushima. And so it would really just, I mean, it would destroy the coastal zone from even the beginning of San Diego all the way up to, I believe they said something almost hitting Long Beach. So it would be like a catastrophe. And it would be for years and years, I mean, decades before they even could clean it up and it would probably even be safe. So it's huge. So there's there's a big group trying to stop that. They they're, have a lawsuit against Edison 
and we've been kind of going to some meetings and just supporting that and raising awareness. So definitely look into that. You can you can Google it; it'll pop up. But it was really kind of hush hush. No one really talked about it. I think maybe OC Register maybe did a small story on it, but that was about it. So yeah, really really alarming, really really scary. Yeah. Hopefully that can be taken care of, and even that is not easy to take take care of once it's radioactive waste. So yeah, wow. What a nightmare. It, it is. And I mean, there's still hope because, I mean, it's in the ground, but they can dig it back up and they can transport it to a safer location. So that can still be done. It's just extremely expensive to do so. So you can see why Edison doesn't want to do that. <laughs> now, if other people live in their communities and they, and they want to start a non-toxic whatever city they live in, do you have any suggestions or tips for people who want to get a chapter of it started? Is there like a main place that you should go? Oh, totally. So non-toxic Irvine. So it'd be um, nontoxicirvine.com. I believe it's .org. I believe they have both. So if you visit that website, it'll give you the list of all the cities who are already doing it and links to connect with your city if it's already done. Or you can start your own chapter. They have a bunch of information on how to do that. And uh, a big useful tool is is starting a Facebook group with your non-toxic city and then letting non-toxic Irvine know because they're going to be switching over from non-toxic Irvine to their new name will be non-toxic neighborhoods. And so they're going to be kind of the local hub of like just getting information, getting the plans for your HOA. They really want to make it cookie cutter, right? So anyone can do this. Anyone can apply it to their city and just kind of spread this movement. So it's really great. Right. So they'll right now look up non-toxic Irvine and eventually it's non-toxic neighborhood. Yep, exactly. Well, thank you very much, James, for that. I wanted to talk to both of you, James and Dahlia. We talked in our last episode that we did a couple months ago about organic food. And one of you had either quoted or brought out a statistic. I don't remember the exact statistics, but it was about the availability of organic food. And it was much lower than I thought. Living in an area where I go to, people go to Whole Foods or they just, they go to, well, even the supermarkets where I live, there's plenty of organic foods. So, but then again, you know what, if you look around, it's really, it's not a lot. And it always, obviously in other neighborhoods, there's just not going to be a lot of access. And I guess what is, what is the statistic, how much organic food is available and how can we get it to be more available to different budgets you know, different neighborhoods, because everybody needs to have access to it. It's super important. And there's, I know, a a certain few vegetables and fruits that you should always try to get organic if you can, right? So yeah, with the, I'll give the statistic really quickly. So, and the USDA is behind on this. They use old data. So this is a couple years probably behind with data, but roughly what the USDA says is is about 4% of the total US food sales are organic. And so that sounds like, whoa, only 4%, but you know, yeah, in certain hubs and, and, you know, metropolitan areas like L.A. and New York and, you know, you're going to find tons of organic options. But, yeah, in that middle zone of the, of the U.S. or some other less populated areas, you're really going to find no organic. So, yeah, 4%. But the good news with this, and, and this is something I think I brought up on, on the last podcast, was really we only need to, what, what scientists and researchers realize is we only need to get it to about 15 to 17 percent that's what a rough tipping point where if we got organic up to that amount it would like start this domino effect 
that would essentially get it up to the 80s or 90% because it would start this tipping point where it's so available and it would help. We start to see such the uh, the benefits in the soil and the way we grow food and the, and the health of the animals that it would be this tipping point that would literally make everything organic, which is basically what it was pre you know, 1940s, right? Pre like World War II, pretty much all our food was organic. Okay. And so our ancestors or our great grandparents just called it food. Absolutely. So, yeah. <laughs> and I think, like you said, you're surprised that the statistic was so low that it's only about 3% of our food that's organic or 4%. But it's exciting to also see that Costco is going to end up being the largest retailer in the nation of organic food. So not only are we voting with our forks so much so that we have more available that you didn't even notice <laughs> it was so low, but we are demanding that we purchase it in bulk. And I think that that is a great sign, a great sign that change is coming. And yeah, you always want to cut out as much, you know, extra toxic waste and toxins and anything that you can cut out. But I think with organic, absolutely, it's a move in the right direction. But I think people get confused. I oftentimes will have people say, well, what about, you know, organic brown sugar? Or it's okay because I buy organic cookies or, you know, and then James oftentimes will tell people, well, then you're going to get organic diabetes. (laughs) (laughs) Sugar is sugar. So, you know, even though, yes, um, the organic sugar is a better choice if it's a treat. I don't think we want people to be fooled that just because it's organic, it's 100% healthy. Yeah, you see on a lot of packages, oh, yeah, you know, it's a, you know, whatever, a cookie or some kind of candy, but it's organic. And so then the kids will say, well, it's organic, mom. And it's like, yeah. and that's great to have still, a treat it's still that's gonna organic. still going to be like less toxic. Yeah, exactly. Right, still less exactly. toxic, but yeah, yeah I do, you know, for consumers to be fooled that, okay, it's super healthy and it's great part of my everyday. And I want to be clear on that, too, because I get a lot of patients who are like, oh, there's the organic is a scam. Organic. Mm-hmm. It, it's definitely not. Absolutely. Like it, it definitely is cleaner. You're getting cleaner animals. You're getting cleaner soil. And that's huge. And it's well regulated by the USDA. It's not perfect, but it's well regulated by the USDA, as well as there's third party watchdog groups that regulate the regulators. So, you know, the Organic Consumers Association and Cornucopia Institute. So, you know, it, it's it's not perfect, but it's good and, and it makes a difference. I think it also I get that comment when I tell people, well, then purchase your things at the farmer's market. Oh, well, they're just saying it's organic. It's incredibly expensive. It's thousands of dollars a year, if not tens of thousands of dollars that each farm has to pay in all of these applications and fees and licenses to become organic. So I doubt that someone would want to invest all that and risk it just to be, you know, saying that they're organic. And not only are their fields tested, they have pop-in inspections at actual markets. So at any given time, they can be inspected and their produce can be checked to verify if it is not 100% because I think it has to be 96% organic to be labeled organic. But again, a small farmer at a farmer's market is not going to risk that just to be mentioning they're organic. But that's not to say that some that don't market themselves as organic are not. Because sometimes, you know, they'll say, I want to be labeled organic, but it's too expensive. I can't afford it. My farm is too small right now. So get to know your farmers if you do shop at the farmer's market. I always like to encourage people to eat as close to the earth as possible. And how can you get closer than 
you know, touching the hands of the person who picked your food. So get to know those farmers, ask them questions. And, you know, you kind of can tell if someone's genuine or not. But sometimes, yeah, they'll tell you, well, those onions over there aren't organic, but everything else is. Or, you know, they're, they're very honest. They're very honest. Yeah. Now, we know that there are certain things people should try to buy organic if they can. And sometimes on a budget, it's hard. For example, if, you know, I know you guys are whole food plant-based, but if somebody eats dairy, you know, to go for the organic dairy products as much as possible, the butter, if they're eating meat, that they should go for the organic grass-fed. But as far as the vegetables and fruits, so say somebody can't afford to get everything organic. I know there's the dirty dozen, and we don't have to speak of all of them, but what are the maybe the top three or four that people should, you know, make sure that they get organic? Yeah, so every year the Environmental Working Group, which is this nonprofit agency, comes out with this Dirty Dozen Clean 15 list. And so every year the soil changes and, you know, things can become more contaminated or less contaminated as years go by. So they come out with this list every single year. So most of the time what's on the Dirty Dozen are things that have ridges and pits. So, you know, strawberries are covered in seeds. Of course, things are going to kind of be harbored in there a little bit more. The things on the Dirty Dozen also are going to attract more critters. So they tend to be more of the sweet fruits and sweeter vegetables that require more spraying. So some common things I mentioned, strawberries, you want to try to go for organic spinach, potatoes, peaches, apples, and pears and tomatoes. So, you know, you don't have to buy 100% organic because it's nice to give us the clean 15, which those are things that just naturally attract less pests and bugs so they're not as heavily sprayed there are things that have very thick skins and oftentimes you won't eat the skin so avocados as long as you're washing it off well because if you're having a sprayed avocado and then you just cut right into it you've just put pesticides in your food so you still want to wash these things well but avocados you're going to throw away the skin anyways it doesn't have to be organic things like cantaloupes eggplants honeydew melons, pineapples, most of those things, again, you're not going to eat the skin, but you also have your broccoli, cauliflower, and asparagus that are landing there on the Clean 15. They're more of those bitter vegetables. So, yeah, mm-hmm. broccoli, cauliflower, mm-hmm. asparagus, you have cabbage, onions, so bugs don't really want to eat a lot of that bitter taste. So. <laughs> so it's the stuff that the bugs like and that doesn't want, that's what they're going to spray more. And that's what's more likely more pesticides. Interesting. People always ask, oh, do I need to buy one of those sprays at the market or, you know, any spray? And those are great if they have good ingredients in them, if you're getting an organic spray. But you can always use vinegar. We like to use Dr. Bronner's Castile soap. So Mm -hmm. if you do get a good one, then go for it. But it's not 100% a requirement. Mm -hmm. Now, you guys are whole food plant-based. And... I guess I wanted to ask you a couple questions about that. We talked about it a lot in the last podcast. But for example, when the last time we talked about, you know, the keto diet and what your opinion on it was as a dietitian, but I wanted to talk about a different one and I wanted to talk about paleo whole 30. I guess that's the closest to what I would be, but I'm not, I'm not, not definitely not whole 30, but the closest I, I like paleo recipes. I mean, I, I do still eat meat. I, I was vegetarian for a long time, but it wasn't whole food plant-based. So it was like the eat cookies type of vegetarian, but I did it for the animal's sake. But, you know, there's a lot of dissimilarities, obviously, between paleo, whole 30, and, you know, whole food plant-based. But there's also a lot of similarities. And there are vegans that are 
there are plant-based paleo that I've met on Instagram and I'd never heard of a pegan until recently. But so what are your guys' opinions on it? Then I wanted to ask a little bit about, yeah, a couple of your opinions. But yeah, first of all, yeah, what's your opinion on it besides the fact that they eat meat, I guess? Yeah, and everyone has different reasons for choosing their lifestyle. You know, especially in the plant-based world, you have people who go vegan for animal rights. You have people who go vegan for health, for the environment. So in that gamut, you said you were really in it for animal rights. So <laughs> the health of your meals. to one day again. Yeah. <laughs> well, Sorry. everyone's on such a different <laughs> journey, and we always try to tell people we were on our journey too and not to say that what we do is 100% perfect we're we're still on our journey (laughs) yeah every day we're learning and growing but it's really your motivation behind that but I would say you know vegan paleo whatever you are at the core of all of those diets and lifestyles is plants I would say a majority of what you're eating when you're paleo your pegan, which is paleo vegan, keto really encourages a lot of vegetables. And I think that if you're just doing that, no matter what lifestyle you choose, you'll be better off than, you know, anything else, low carb or high carb, high fat, anything like that. Because then people, yeah, get caught up in, well, you know, I, I am vegan. Let me mm. eat mac and cheese. That's vegan. and mm. Or, you know, paleo. Let me just eat bacon on everything. I think that's a really core principle all of those lifestyles and if I could just say one thing the rest of my life to every single client I meet it's just increase your vegetable intake honestly because as much as we like to talk about it people still aren't doing it <laughs> and more and more detail is overall plant like not just vegetable plants so whether yeah, it's fruits absolutely. vegetables legumes nuts and seeds and then the nitty-gritty of like let's say whole 30 versus paleo you know Paleo, you can have some of the non-refined sugars. So technically, like, you know, they want you to be like a paleolithic man. So if a paleolithic man stumbled across a honeycomb, eat as much mm-hmm. honey as you want, put honey on everything, because that's what paleolithic man would do. Whereas Whole30 is more of a, a detox. It's a 30-day, like, reset. So they're going to say no refined sugar, no honey none of the paleo goodies they call it yeah exactly the paleo goodies and yeah that gets into like paleo now you see paleo pancakes and paleo muffins and (laughs) so that's the big difference whole 30 doesn't allow that paleo does and it's the idea that paleo is more this long-term lifestyle whole 30 is like a 30-day reset so that's the biggest difference Mm -hmm. between them and speaking of whole 30 so say somebody wants to do a reset because those are pretty popular of people who are autoimmune it's just kind of the thing that they'll find these protocols so is there do you know of any whole food plant-based vegan reset type yeah i had mentioned last time that we talked that i have hashimoto's autoimmune thyroid disease so at a time a couple years ago i did autoimmune paleo and i modified it to be plant-based well, that so became, autoimmune paleo plant-based. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> AIPP. So yeah. at first I was really motivated and it eliminates a lot of the things that you eat on a plant-based diet. So you're eliminating nightshade, vegetables, things that they believe contribute to inflammation, which drives all diseases. So you take out nightshade vegetables, such as anything with a seed in it, tomatoes, peppers, you were avoiding eggplant potatoes and nuts and seeds with beans and you're eating you know a lot of vegetables and fruits and you're eliminating grains Mm. and sugar also 
And then about two, three months into it, I was just eating fruits, vegetables, avocados, coconuts, and I just felt malnourished. I didn't really yeah. have any significant protein sources. I created this whole list of vegetables and which ones are highest that were AIPP approved in protein, but I just still wasn't getting there and I just didn't and that feel was, good. And from what we recommend, she did the longest bout. It was almost like an elimination diet, and that was the longest bout. And so we had to say, okay, you're you're done on yeah. this elimination diet. So yeah. from there, I think looking back, I now with the knowledge that I have, I would have done it differently. I added in beans. Then I added after that nightshade vegetables. Then sometime after that, I added back in a lot of nuts and seeds. But I really do believe that a lot of these reset protocols are are relied on as a lifestyle and they're not meant to be a lifestyle because they're going to decrease the healthy microbes in your gut. So over time, your body forgets how to digest and break down some of these things. So oftentimes people who do them long-term for years at a time can never add those things back in again. They get severe gastrointestinal. Or it's very hard. Yeah, absolutely. Now, if they take probiotics or eat enough fermented food, it's probably still, it's going to make up for that. But it's like you're saying, these are kind of like, they are kind of reset diets. But if somebody wants to go on these for a longer term, could they do that maybe? You can, but the diversity in what you're eating is so important. So limiting things that are healthy for you, like nuts and seeds and mm-hmm. different fruits and vegetables should not, in my opinion, be a way of life. Right. And this goes back. And not only right. that. Not only is it hard, but I feel like it kind of starts putting people in this very restrictive eating disorder type of mindset. Yeah, I was thinking that too. I didn't was wasn't sure if I was going to go there, but yeah, that is a good point because it, it is like that. That's what it reminds. Yeah, where everything's so controlled and you have to stay on it. So, you know, I think that's in my journey what I've learned and what I've been passing on to my patients that okay you have this out of control autoimmune disease let's do this but let's only do it for six to eight weeks is going to be the max right and the goal is to slowly reintroduce things and discover if you actually have a sensitivity to these things because in doing this i realized i actually am really sensitive to almonds and peanuts and i didn't know that before because i was eating them on a very regular basis. So for that purpose, I think it's good. So if you're able to eliminate things that you personally are quite sensitive to, absolutely. But long-term, you want to find that sweet spot between you know healthy, convenient, mm-hmm. low inflammation, so you don't get fatigued and your body is not lacking nutrients. And then if I can, let me link this back to the pesticide issue because then this is where kind of our environmental nutritionist hats come on because we then introduce things in organic and we want to make sure it's Mm non-GMO. We make sure it has a minimal amount of pesticide residues. We can even test for pesticide residues in your body and see if you are, if you do have a lot of of these things in your body. And so then this then begs the question, and I posted this on our Instagram of like a list, right? I, I had a graphic about wheat. And so is, you know, a lot of these wheat allergies or wheat intolerances that we're seeing, is it gluten or I put, or is it, and I put a list of all the pesticides we use on wheat and I couldn't even fit the full list. And so here we are, we've, we haven't been using these chemicals too long. And in that time, we now have an obesity epidemic, a diabetes epidemic, an allergy epidemic, and a neurological epidemic. So are these chemicals related? And the research is saying, yes, the research is pointing in that direction. So 
this is what really fuels us. And because we love food, we, we don't want to lose the amount of foods we can eat. We want to increase them. And so that fuels us to really be passionate about our, our activism and getting involved and pushing pesticides out. So, yeah. And I think not to overwhelm people. Everybody yeah. is working in a different, <laughs> different facet of the spectrum. So really find what you're passionate about. Find what speaks to you. Find what makes you feel good and go from there. So say somebody is new to being plant-based and they want to find, I guess they're really overwhelmed because with any kind of healthy eating, you know, at the grocery store, it is pretty easy to get derailed. And I know they say, okay, shop the perimeter of the store. So for any, what, anytime you're trying to eat more whole nutrient dense foods, it's already kind of a a roadblock. But if you're also trying to be plant-based rather than just, you know, reaching for the frozen veggie burgers, what are, you know, what are some things that I guess some, some recipes people can make or just some, some staples that they should have on hand? Yeah. So I take my clients very regularly on grocery store tours and it's not, I like to really incorporate those tools of not only what should you eat, but where do you procure them? How should we prepare them? So along that journey, the grocery store is a big part of that. So our first stop is always the produce section. And that's where I tell them, you want to buy a bulk of your food here. And that usually, depending on where you're purchasing it from, but if you're buying things, you know, spinach in bulk from Costco is very budget friendly. And now that they have organic, it's a lot easier to mind your budget there. But we're finding that the less processed food that you buy, one, the longer it lasts. Mm -hmm. You're not going to finish the whole three pound bag of broccoli in a day, but it sure is easy to finish a whole box of cereal that costs about the same amount. You're going to really make that food stretch and last longer. That's where you want a bulk of your food to come from. When you open your fridge, it should look like a garden. So that's always our first stop. And again, some tips I like to give are grab from the back because Grocery stores practice first in, first out. So the oldest stuff is going to be brought to the front. Now everyone's going to be taking my good fresh produce from the back. And then grab from the left because most people are right-hand dominant. So most people are grabbing from the right. And yeah, other little tips and tricks we like to give. Uh, We just recently posted a tip on our Facebook, our Mary Child Facebook, of how to pick watermelons. Look for ones that have, you know, a kind of whitish, yellowish spot on the bottom. Mm -hmm. And ones that have kind of the sap on the surface and things that look like bee stings, those are going to be your sweetest ones. I always hear people tapping them and I'm like, what are they listening for? (laughs) Is it talking? (laughs) Is it talking back to you? They were just taught that maybe they thought that they saw somebody tapping. Maybe there's another melon. Is there one melon? I don't know, but everyone I see doing it looks really confused while they're doing it. My mom would always tap the (laughs) cantaloupes. So I guess I did that too. And I never really hear anything. So I just try to look and see. Yeah, what about cantaloupes? Or do you have, well, how so, do you pick a good my, my general rule of thumb for any fruit is go with the heaviest. Mm-hmm. So the heaviest is more likely to have that water content, which means it's very juicy and sweet. Mm-hmm. So you go with that, whether it's the heaviest cantaloupe, the heaviest honeydew, the heaviest mango, the heaviest whatever, mandarin. Mm-hmm. That's the one to go for. And then, and then again, to touch on just more of the easy stuff, dried beans. That's something to mm-hmm. always have in your home. Get the dried beans. They're super cheap. I mean, you know, you can get canned beans that are more convenient. And, and trust us, you know, we have some canned beans as well. But that's for when we're in a hurry, you know. But for the most part, we're using dried beans. So we have at least yeah. three to four different kinds of dried beans that we rotate. And we soak through them. the weeks. We'll right. sprout if we have time. But always soak them and then, you know, cook them in a pressure cooker or 
kind or of crock pot, kind of, slow cooker. Yeah, and that gets stove. incorporated. So any at any given time in our fridge, we'll probably have two different kinds of beans there. Usually there's one type of whole grain, whether that's brown rice, black rice, quinoa. It amaranth. could be amaranth, yeah, a legume-based pasta or anything like that. And that is kind of... 10% of the meal and then we have our veggies in there soups I absolutely just adore making soups we just ate soup today we just ate soup right before <laughs> this we eat soup several times a week and we just found that our daughter will eat so many more vegetables if they're just in soup than anything else that we can offer her and she's used to eating healthy of course we have really only introduced her to healthy food thus far in her three years of life. But even we have a five-year-old neighbor and, you know, I wouldn't say they're the healthiest eaters, but <laughs> she really enjoys our soups too. So soups are great and they're really flavorful and, and easy, easy, absolutely and cheap. It's such a cheap way to get in so many vegetables, cups and cups at a time. And yeah, I would say those are kind of a lot of our staples. You can do Corn tortillas are pretty cost-effective, and you can get those organic and, you know, try to go easy on things like condiments. Save money there. Use lemon and salt on your salads, or you vinegar. can combine your own vinegar and oil and seasonings, and there's $5 that you just save there instead of buying a salad dressing that probably has sugar added to it. Mm-hmm. It's rare that we meet a dressing that doesn't. And we try, and that's a lot. I know we, we shared like a lot. Even that short bit it can be overwhelming <laughs> still. And we do something on our Instagram called The Winner. And so we put two foods head to head. Like I think today we just posted about uh, pasta sauce. So we put uh, we put Prego versus another type of pasta sauce. And we told you why, which one was the winner and why. Mm-hmm. So we just try and, whether it's in person or on our social media or wherever we can, we try and teach our followers and our patients to shop and how to choose healthier things mm-hmm. and, and why that is and make it as easy as possible. Absolutely. And really learn about the quality of their food. Because mm-hmm. first, that's always going to be the most important thing. Not how much are you eating, because even small amounts of junk are going to <laughs> contribute to your inflammation. But it's really quality. So we try to teach everyone who we come in contact with how to identify high-quality foods. Now, smoothies are pretty popular nowadays. I mean... There's juices, smoothies. I love smoothies. And so that's like a really, I think for most, you know, people who are trying to eat healthy, smoothies are a pretty good option as long as they don't have, as long as they don't have too much sugar. But I like a lot of different things in my smoothies. What about you guys? What do you like to put in your smoothies and what are good things that plant-based people can put in their smoothies? I'm the unofficial smoothie king. Mine always just come out (laughs) tasting so healthy. (laughs) Yeah, Bellia's are really healthy, and mine are healthy and tasty. It's not my strong suit. So this is is a taste test for our daughter. Our daughter always prefers my smoothies. But I'll tell you, I start with the base of really ripe banana. And so that, I mean, that makes your smoothie. So whether, you know, depending on how big your smoothie is, you might need two really good ripe bananas. And but really that sets the tone. So there's always a banana and the sugar in a banana. You really don't have to worry about it. Even for my diabetics, I still recommend bananas because, again, that's more of a natural food sugar. You're still going to get tons of the fiber. So a ripe banana and then whatever type of nut milk you like. 
And then from there, it's, it's up to you. If you're thinking more tropical, you do pineapple mango. If you're thinking, you know, more uh, green, then you can add more greens. But usually in our smoothie, the base is a, of some sort of unsweetened nut milk, a banana, and then some type of green with a variety of other fruit. And it goes from there. And I like to recommend that people get creative with their veggies. Yeah. It's so common that we'll put spinach in. But you cannot get creative. You can do kale. I like to recommend using cauliflower. It blends right in. Cucumber. You can even do zucchini and carrots. Depending on what you're making, beets can fit in perfectly with the right combination. So don't be afraid to use those veggies and take that opportunity in your smoothie. It doesn't have to be pure sugar. I mean, Mm -hmm. pure fruit. But you definitely want to get in your veggies. Totally. And I will say one of our favorites real quickly is a chocolate milk smoothie. And that's kind of like a a sweet treat. But we do it with an unsweetened nut milk. We do a ripe banana. We add raw cacao powder. That's unsweetened. That's unsweetened as well. A couple dates. And then the secret ingredient is is a little pinch of oats. Or depending on how big, you could do a little handful of oats. And then you just blend that up and it makes a yummy chocolate milk. And there's no added sugar. And it's delicious. I want to try that. I just got some raw cacao powder. So maybe I'll try it because I have all the other ingredients. Wait, but I don't think I have any dates. So the dates are important. How many dates do you suggest to put in there? You know, I mean, like for, let's say if you do like a single serve, like smoothie bottle type thing, like a ninja one, you could put like like two because dates are very strong. They're 80% sugar they're 60 percent sweeter than cake frosting so if you put too many <laughs> it kind of like oh this is like a date smoothie so i would say go with less even try one try two because you could always put more but it's hard to but take away <laughs> yeah so dates are really really sweet so you'd be surprised but it's going to give it that nice little tone of sweet and it's still tons of fiber and minerals so really healthy yeah I'm going to give that a try. Yeah. But I had one of my patients tell me she makes her breakfast mojito now, and she puts in pineapple, cucumber, a little bit of squash, spinach, and mint. And she says she makes herself a nice little breakfast mojito, and I I believe she does sweeten it with dates also. But, you know, get creative and think outside the box. Those are some great ideas. All right. Well, do you have anything else you want to share with our listeners? Before we sign off, I think like we mentioned before, this sounds like so much information and just let me move and trash everything in my house and start over. But work with where you're at. Don't get overwhelmed. Move at your pace and understand that progress is so much more important than perfection. There's no such thing. So just every day that you progress is a huge difference in your health and your families. Yeah. (laughs) And follow us on social media because we're always posting what we eat, what our daughter eats, and all these crazy things that we just talked about. So on Instagram, YouTube, and Facebook, we are at Married to Health. Mm-hmm. And that's T-O. <laughs> <laughs> well, great. Thank you so much, James and Dahlia, for joining me again on A Teaspoon of Healing. And hope to chat with you again soon. Thank you for having us. Yes, Absolutely. thank you. Great. So have a great evening. Thank, thank you. you. as well. Thank you for listening to this episode of A Teaspoon of Healing. If you have a question for me or for my guests, visit my website, teaspoonofhealing.com. Click on Contact, fill out the form, and I'll get back to you. While you're on my site, feel free to check out my blog, transcripts, find out more information about the services I offer, 
And if you are not a current subscriber to this podcast, you can do so on my website. There are links to iTunes and Android. This podcast is also available on Spotify and Spreaker. So check it out there. You can also listen to previous episodes directly on my website. Thank you for listening to A Teaspoon of Healing with Dawn Damari, your home for wellness and vibrant living. For more resources on wellness and vibrant living, visit us online at teaspoonofhealing.com. This podcast is for informational purposes only and does not constitute medical advice. Please consult a physician or other health professional before undertaking changes in lifestyle or wellness habits. The author claims no responsibility to any person or entity for any liability, loss, or damage caused or alleged to be caused directly or indirectly as a result of use, application, or interpretation of the information presented herein. 